0: to the book of John, chapter 12, this evening, okay? We've been working pretty diligently today, getting stuff took down for Christmas. Uh, we're gonna need a little bit of help after the service tonight to finish uh, most of it up tonight. And uh, appreciate those of you who stick around and help us with that uh, this evening. Uh, come on in, guys. So we're gonna be in uh, the Gospel of John this evening and uh, studying in verse number 12. Uh, uh, chapter twelve, and uh, let's 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 read tonight, uh, beginning at uh, verse uh, number one this evening. All right, John, chapter twelve, Gospel of John, chapter twelve, verse number one. Is your wife good tonight, John? My goodness, all right, all right, good deal, all right, John 12, verse number one, let's all stand together, please, I don't normally do this on a Wednesday night, but I just like for people to move a little bit, Uh, John chapter 12, we're going to look at verse one, and we're going to read down to verse number 11 uh, this evening. And uh, that'll give us the context of our message. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, Let her alone. Against the day of my bearing hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Father, I, I pray tonight, I pray that you'll uh, just help us in this auditorium this evening and help everyone that's on this campus tonight. Lord, we've got a lot of volunteers and, uh, and, and children right down the hallway For Awana tonight, a lot of people serving and ministering and uh, seeing our children grow in the word of God and their knowledge and their understanding of it. And we thank you for those who are ministering there. We thank you for those in the nursery tonight and taking care of our little ones, our babies, and uh, ministering to our families in that way because that is a very important ministry and we're thankful for that. And then behind me, Lord, our teenagers are meeting in the building next door and they're, uh, they're worshiping tonight and they're growing together and they're growing their fellowship and uh, they're growing spiritually. I pray, uh, Lord, for, uh, for those ministering tonight, for BJ and Morgan and my wife and, and serving next door and may you do great things uh, with our teenagers. And then I pray for those who are meeting tonight for discipleship. And uh, Lord, that relationships are being built and that questions are being asked and answered and ministry is taking place a one-on-one. And so I pray that you'll bless in those opportunities. And then I pray for us tonight, Lord, in here. Father, I've studied, prepared, I've prayed, and I've asked you, Lord, to help me to preach a message tonight that would help everyone in this place. Lord, I I realize tonight that people are tired, they've worked hard, they've dealt with a lot of things, and they've come to this place of worship tonight. And our body sometimes tells us we need to sit at home, and a lot of times we sit around and we'll watch television and we'll do other things. I pray tonight that you'll help me to say some things, you'll help me to preach and minister in such a way that it, it affected everyone here, that it ministered to their spirit, and it encouraged, it refreshed them. And it was an aha moment tonight where they received something that they needed. And Lord, every effort that they made to be in church tonight, it was worth every bit of it. And I pray tonight that those who who, who were not here, that God, they missed something very special as a result. And I just ask that you meet with us and help us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, because that's where the power lies. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for doing that tonight. So the title of my message this evening is a dinner party uh, because that is exactly what is taking place here this evening in, in John chapter 12. It was a, uh, it was a gathering uh, because it was a time for a celebration. In John chapter 11, Mary and Martha had lost their brother, uh, but when Jesus showed up four days later, he, rose, he raised him from the dead. In John chapter 2, Jesus transformed a wedding celebration at Cana of Galilee so that it was better because he was there. And in John chapter 11, there were a lot of people gathered around the family during a, as a time of a funeral because, uh, because, of, uh, because he had passed away. But when Jesus showed up, he translated a dead man to life. So wherever Jesus is, whether it's a party and a celebration or whether it's a time of sorrow, Jesus always seeks to change lives and change everything that's going on. Now we get to chapter 12, the world is growing darker. It is growing more and more cruel. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious crowd, the Sanhedrin, they are getting more aggressive in their efforts. To do away with Jesus once and for all. And in less than a week, the Lamb of God would give His life for the sins of the world upon the cross. It says in verse number 1 that six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Well, in six days, Jesus is going to be the Passover. He is going to be the Lamb that takes away our sin. But on this particular evening... He enjoyed a quiet time with his friends who were living testimonies of his grace and his power. And we find that there were at least 17 present at the beginning of this dinner party. There, of course, is Jesus and uh, the 12 disciples were guests. Judas Iscariot being amongst them. As we find him complaining in verse number four. Then we'll see that Simon was the one who welcomed them. He was the one who was host. We'll talk more about him. Because the other four present are testimonies of the power of God. And they affect us tonight as we look at their life. Then we'll see Martha. She was one who was serving. And uh, we see Lazarus was sitting and smiling. And of course, Mary, Mary just simply smelled. That's what you can say about Mary here. She just smelled. So I want to look at those four individuals tonight. Tonight, Jesus is sitting there. Everyone is gathering around him. The 12 disciples are just, they're present, but they're not really in a place spiritually tonight that they are really getting a hold of what is taking place. And that can happen to any of us anytime we gather together. I want us to understand that tonight. The 12 who spent the most time with Jesus get the least out of this particular gathering. And you can be sitting in a church service on a Wednesday night and get very little if our heart and our spirit is not right with the Lord. I don't want to focus on them tonight. I'm not even going to focus on Judas Iscariot and and his complaint. And when we read Matthew 26 and Mark 14, we see that he wasn't the only one complaining. The other disciples who were gathered with him are also complaining. But I'm not going to focus on the murmurs tonight. I'm going to focus on the ones who testify of the goodness of Jesus Christ and the difference that he makes, that our Lord makes. And the first one I want to speak tonight is about the host, and his name is his Simon. And I want us to understand something this evening. Go ahead and turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 26, if you don't mind. And I'll, I'll just read one scripture there to, to set some things up. But when there has been a radical change in someone's life, sometimes it is important for the world to know who they used to be. And that can go for any of us. When we have have seen in Michael Bell, for example, I just look up and see Michael Bell. Sometimes it is important for everyone to know who you used to be so that they get a better understanding of who you are now. And it's not because Michael Bell suddenly did something right. It's because of what Jesus Christ did right in his life. When you think of Rahab, what do you think of Rahab? Well, whenever her name is mentioned, it is also mentioned her past life, right? It is Rahab the harlot. She's always known as the harlot. But her life was drastically changed when she placed her faith in an almighty God. In fact, her faith saved not only her, but it saved her family's life in the book of Joshua. And her faith placed Her in the family lineage of Jesus Christ. And so I find it amazing of how God can overcome our past when we trust Him with everything that we have and everything that we are. Can I get an amen there? God can overcome everything in our life. And someone needs to hear that tonight. Sometimes people are overcome with their guilt and their past and their struggles and their troubles. But we find in the scriptures testimony after testimony of how God overcomes all of that when individuals place their faith in our God and in our Savior. Rahab's life is an incredible story of grace that desperate people who think that there is no hope Need to hear. And the host of our dinner party this evening is another individual that represents change. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 6, we see Matthew's account of this event. And it says, when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Now that's how he's introduced to us. Simon the leper. And I want to say this, for obvious reasons, he's no longer a leper. Amen? Because if he was still a leper, nobody would be gathering in his house. Everyone would be away from him. When you read up on leprosy, I find that the suffering of those infected by leprosy was so acute that it was thought to be highly contagious. And those not wealthy enough to live at home in isolation... Were segregated from the rest of the population in leper camps. And outside of, those, of these hospices, if you will, they were feared and ostracized, frequently condemned to wander the roads wearing signs and ringing bells to warn healthy people to not approach. We read in the Bible that they were to announce to others from a distance that they were unclean. It would be horrible to live your life so that when anyone even approached you, you had to tell them to stay away. I'm unclean, unclean. Remove yourself. It had to be a lonely life. Leprosy came to be referred to as the living death. And often its victims were treated as if they had already died. That would have been Simon's life. Simon the leper, the one who once lived lonely, the one who felt condemned to death, the one whose life was ruined with no hope of it ever turning around. But here he is tonight in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 and in John chapter 12, opening his home to Jesus Christ and everyone who was closest to him, that, is, that represents a changed life right there. Amen? Someone that was completely different. No hope without God with, and a life of fear and a life of ruin. And now here he is opening up his home to Jesus and allowing Jesus and his 12 disciples... And everyone who loved Jesus to come and gather around. And we'll see later in this chapter that when many of the Jews found out that Jesus was there, they also came. And it's a changed life when people put themselves in a position that I want Jesus around me so that not only I receive the blessing of his presence, but so that others can come anytime they want to and meet my Jesus. Amen? That is a changed, radically changed life. It was an opportunity for Simon to give back to the Lord, to offer Christ and his disciples a moment of rest in a place of peace. And so his life is a testimony of God's grace, mercy, compassion, and power. And it doesn't matter where you've been tonight, I'm going to tell you something that God's grace can overcome that. And God is willing to, God is quick to pardon, he is, he is compassionate, He is loving, He is forgiving, and His power, His transforming power, can radically change every person's life. And maybe you was Rahab the harlot, or maybe you was Simon the leper. But I'm going to tell you something, what people can see as a result of your faith, is someone whose life points everybody back to the, ...to the power of God in Jesus Christ. Amen? So Simon speaks to our heart tonight. And then the second individual in John 12, of course, is Martha. Simon represents change. Martha represents service. I want to encourage you tonight, before I move forward... ...if you see anyone, if you see anyone whose life is completely messed up... ...they are not too far gone as long as they're breathing. Amen? Amen? As long they may be in the wrong place Rahab was in the wrong place when the spies met her. And, and by God's grace, they just happened to enter in her house. They just happened to knock on her door. That's by God's grace. That's God's providing right there. And, and it doesn't matter where someone is being or how, how filthy their mouth is or the, the, the depth of their sin, or if they're, if, if they're in the Morgan County jail tonight, Larry, even if they are there. God's, God's grace can transform their life, right? And that is how we have to look at that. If God can do it for me, God can do it for anyone. And then we see Martha, okay? Martha is one that represents serving. She, she was someone that every church needs, although she usually gets a bad rap for it. She served because that's simply who she was. And that's what she did to the best of her ability. Martha served, and I'd say that everyone enjoyed the fruits of her labor. Amen? I'm going to tell you something. I mean, if I sit down at a table in a restaurant, I expect to be served, don't you? I don't expect to go fill my glass. I don't expect to go get my plate. I don't expect to cook my food. If I were doing that, I'd serve myself at home. Amen? But if you go to a restaurant, you're you're attended to by servers. And they are doing things to take care of you. And they're doing things to meet a particular need. And they want to do it well because they want to to receive a reward for it. And there's a reward involved in serving as well as they want you to come back the next time, right? I, I would imagine that... Martha was probably up early that morning at the market getting the best ingredients. You say, why? Because Jesus was coming. What would you do if Jesus was coming to your house? I guarantee you'd sweep everything, wouldn't you? You would wash the baseboards that day. Amen? And, and, and you would do everything possible to make everything perfect because he is the guest of all guests. I, I imagine she would have fixed and prepared her best recipes. Why? Because Jesus was coming. Jesus deserved the very best that she had to offer. I imagine when Jesus went in the house and the disciples went in the house, that there was a wonderful smell with the aroma of a celebration meal. I remember when I, when I was studying for this, it made me think of when I went into my mother's house on, on uh, this weekend and I went in there and food was prepared and the first thing that I did when I went in the house is I hugged my mama I hugged my daddy and I hugged my grandfather and I went to the kitchen to see what was on the on the stove I went I went and seen what was laid out for us I could smell it when I walked in the door that, that was, she wanted everything to be perfect. She wanted everything to be right because nothing was too good for Jesus. But if you'll turn to Luke chapter 10, go over to Luke chapter 10 with me in verses 38 and 42, through 42. We have there the embarrassing account when, where Martha was griping to Jesus because she was not because Mary was not helping her. And don't, don't get so high and mighty that you've never complained to Jesus because somebody is not doing what you thought they should be doing. We've all done it, right? We're serving, we're busy. I mean, we're doing it, we're doing it because we love God. And the whole time we're doing it, we're griping and we're complaining because somebody's not helping us do it, right? We have all been there at some point. So don't don't put yourself and I'm not going to put myself at a place that I'm better than Martha tonight. Okay? But this account is embarrassing because Jesus puts her in her place. He puts her in her place. He uh but but one thing I want us to get before we read this is that he never tells her not to serve. He never does it. Let's look in verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. Man, how about that prayer life, John? That prayer life. Lord, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy because I'm trying to minister to you and everybody else. Do you not care that I am so busy and they're not helping me? Boy, that's, a, that's something, isn't it? In verse 41, Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha. Thou art careful and troubled about many things. I would say that most of us tonight are often right there. We're careful and troubled about many things. But he says one thing is needful and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. He never, he never got on to her. He never told her not to serve. And the truth is, if people never serve, nothing will ever get done. Amen? Things have got to get done. It's got to happen. Things have got to take place, and things have got to be where they're supposed to be. Sometimes, people think, I need to pull back on serving. And they go back to Luke chapter 10, and they use the words, I need to be more like Mary and do more sitting And less serving. Where did Jesus tell her not to serve? He didn't tell her that. If that's what Jesus meant, then why did he tell the disciples and tell us to pray for laborers? Because he said the harvest is ready... And we need more laborers to go into the harvest. So pray to the Father that He'll send more laborers. If serving is, is wrong, then why is He saying, then why is he, why is he telling us that we need to pray for more servants? But if you want to be more like Mary, as your pastor, I want to tell you to go ahead. Because if you want to be like Mary, then you'll give your annual salary to the Lord, not just a tenth. Oh, I'm expecting big amens right there. Because that's what she does. That ointment is worth 300 pence. And if you study that, for the common person, that was the annual salary. And she just goes over there and she pours it on the Lord. So if you don't want to serve, finance those who do. All God's people said amen. Right? I want to be more like Mary. Well then go ahead. Our problem, this is the point I want to make tonight. Our problem is that we want worship that doesn't cost us anything. Mary's worship cost her something. And Martha worshiped with she didn't, she didn't give the ointment, and yes, she's busy and she's serving. But that's how she worshiped the Lord. The problem in Luke chapter 10 is her service came with an attitude. Her service came with a gripe and a murmur and a complaint. And she griped to Jesus because Mary's worship didn't look like her worship. That'll start getting on some toes there. Mary's worship didn't look like her worship. And so she griped to Jesus. And it turned out that Martha's worship was only good if everyone else did it like her. And in the midst of her complaining she lost the reason that she was serving in the first place amen she got her eyes off the reason she was doing it and placed it somewhere else on someone who was worshiping the lord the best they knew how and just because they're not just because Cecil's not worshiping like I'm worshiping don't make don't mean that he's wrong He's sitting there and growing close to the Lord and he's in the word of God and he is studying and he is is learning and he's wanting to grow and he's gaining some wisdom that he can share to others. We'll get to Mary in a moment. But Martha's over there. She's making sure she's making sure this place is comfortable when you get in. She's making sure the bathroom doesn't stink when you come to church. Are you with me? She's making sure the Floors are swept and you're not looking around seeing a mess. Because when everyone leaves here on Sunday, this place is a mess. It don't just snap of a finger come clean again. Somebody's serving. When we get to John chapter twelve, Martha seems to be at a peace because this time her attitude is different. Martha's still serving. Mary's worshiping in her in a different way. But Martha's not griping. We can grow, smile, and be happy while serving. And it's not really worship if we're griping about it, amen? Our service is worship when we do it with joy in our hearts. So maybe our service will cost us something. Maybe our giving will cost us something. Maybe our testifying will cost us something. You'll find that in Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. But don't we realize tonight how much we love something by how much it costs us? I'll give you this example. Tonight, there are a lot of dirty, filthy, hungry children who are in that position because their mamas and daddies don't love them. They love their addiction more than they love their children and there's a good chance that their love for their addiction is going to cost them their children but I am going to tell you something I love my children hello I love my children and I'm going to sacrifice for my children I'm going to make sure that every day their bellies is full I'm going to make sure that when they go to bed at night that everything's okay. I'm going to make sure that they got clothes on their back and they got a comfortable bed to sleep in. They got a roof on their head. And I want to tell you something, brother. that, That costs me something. It costs me something to do that. But one thing's for sure. Go ask my children if their daddy loves them and they'll say, yes, he loves me. Amen? Because... It's going to cost us something to reveal just how much that we love it. What would you give for your love for Jesus? What would it be worth to say to him, thank you? Because the truth is tonight, you and I cost him something. He paid a big ransom to redeem us and get us back into himself. And what is that worth to us? Well, Martha went all out. Jesus was coming to the house, and she served and made sure everything was taken care of. She made sure the night was perfect and every need was met. And Mary, well, Mary didn't just put a dab of ointment upon her Savior. She broke the box and poured it all out. So that gets us to Mary tonight back in chapter 12. Simon represents change, Martha represents service, Mary represents worship. At some point in the evening, Mary gets up and she grabs that alabaster box filled with spikenard. And there was another instance that a similar occasion took place in Luke chapter 7. And it took place in Galilee when another Mary had done it in the house of Simon The Pharisee and Simon the Pharisee complained to Jesus of why he allowed a sinful woman like Mary to touch him. Here you have the followers of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, complaining because Mary wasted this ointment upon Jesus. I bet Mary had heard that testimony and of what took place in Luke 7, and it moved her to do the same for Jesus here in Judea. And there were some things that Mary got while sitting at the feet of Jesus that others of us miss, and I think that's an important statement here. Mary got something sitting at the feet of Jesus that the disciples missed because they argued... And didn't understand Christ's teaching of his soon death. But Mary seemed to know what was ahead for her king. And I believe she understood more because she listened more intently. And that should inspire all of us to sit a little more and listen to the words of Jesus Christ. Amen? She she listened intently. She sat there and she grew and she learned. And when it came down to it, she understood some things that the one over here busy serving didn't get. And the one over here, the disciples who were following never could get a hold of. Jesus, she knew what lay ahead and Jesus knew that she knew. Because he testifies in verse 7, Let her alone against the day of my bearing hath she kept this. Warren Wiersbe said, Mary was was giving the roses while Jesus was yet alive rather than wait for his funeral. Her act of love and worship was public, spontaneous, sacrificial, lavish, personal, and unembarrassed. It's better to tell someone and show someone you love them while they're still alive than want to tell them after they're gone. It's no wonder that when the women went to the tomb that Easter morning to anoint the body of Jesus, Mary of Bethany wasn't amongst them because she had already anointed him with oil and washed his feet with her hair and her tears. As I mentioned earlier, Judas and the others murmured concerning what they considered was wasteful, but Jesus was honored by her act of worship because he knew what it cost her. And she had given him her very best. The ointment cost her something dearly. It was kept safe in an ornate box. But get this, Alex. What was in that box was very expensive and very precious. It meant something to the owner that possessed it. But it wasn't until the box was broken and the ointment was poured out that its value was enjoyed by everyone. say, what do you mean, preacher? Sometimes the hurt that you're going through, sometimes the brokenness that you feel, When you continue to come to the Lord and worship Him. There is an aroma there that not only does Jesus honor, but it's passed on to everyone who else is around you. Amen, preacher. That's good preaching right there. Sometimes you've got to be broken. Sometimes I've got to be broken for me to have the greatest impact. That ointment was valuable sitting in the box. Do you not think it was valuable when she poured it out and anointed Jesus with it? Then, She let her hair down, which is something Jewish women never did. She lets her hair down. And she kneels at Jesus' feet. And she humbles herself and lays her glory at his feet. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 15, that a woman's glory is her what? She kneels down. And takes her glory and wipes the feet of Jesus with it. Now hear what Kent Hughes said about this. The aroma of Christ, so honoring to him and so refreshing to others, does not occur when we give him our half our heart or half our pocketbook or half our talents, or half our ambition, or half our lives, or half our boyfriend, or half our girlfriend. It comes by giving him everything. When Mary bent over Jesus' feet, she wiped the perfume away with her hair. And when she arose and went about serving, she spread the beautiful aroma around the house. This completely unself-conscious act giving to Jesus turned out to be the very means by which the aroma of glory to our Lord was spread to others. As Mary humbly gave herself with no thought of her own glory, she became a primary means of spreading the blessing So if you are not a blessing to others, if knowing you does not make others think of Jesus, if your life seems dry and unprofitable, do what Mary did. Get down on your knees before Jesus and give him your all. Pour your life before him. And put that on Facebook. Bow down before him. Give him your glory. Give him your all and pour your life out before him. Mary did not realize at that time that her love for Christ would bless and inspire believers around the world for centuries to come. She didn't realize that. But we're reading about it tonight in 2023. G. Campbell Morgan said, I would rather be a successor to Mary of Bethany than the whole crowd of the apostles. That's high praise. Then the last testimony tonight, and this is a quick one, is Lazarus. It's a quick one because Lazarus never says anything and he never does much of anything. In fact, what did Lazarus ever do but get sick and die? Give me something. What else did he do? Truth is, we don't know. But according to John chapter 11 and verse 45... Many people believed on Jesus because of him. And as we see in verse number 9 and verse number 11 of our text in John 12 tonight, that many more Jews were now coming to Simon's house because Lazarus was there along with Jesus. Let's read verse 9 again. Much people, the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there, talking about Jesus. And they came not for Jesus' sake only but that they might see Lazarus also whom he raised from the dead. And it says in verse 10 the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. I mean Lazarus had a Lazarus he had a bounty on his head because of what Jesus had done in his life. And in verse 11, they wanted that because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. I want to read to you a quote from Kent Hughes again. He says, as I read read the Gospels, I cannot find anything outstanding about Lazarus. It seems he never said anything worth recording and perhaps never did anything worth recording. Yet he ended up being one of the great witnesses for Christ. Why is that? Because the answer is not in what Lazarus did for Jesus. It is in what Jesus did in Lazarus. Amen, preacher. It's what Jesus did in his life. We worry so much about what we're supposed to be doing and what we can do. One of the most powerful testimonies in Scripture is somebody who's never... what What he said never mattered enough to be recorded in the Word of God. And what he did never mattered enough to be recorded in the Word of God. And people came to Jesus not because of what Lazarus said or what Lazarus did, They just wanted to see this man whose life was completely changed because of what Jesus did. So we close. Whether it is the change that Christ has made in us, you could put some other kind of adjective that describes our past life maybe you're not Rahab the harlot and you're not Simon the leper but maybe after your name this world may define you by some sinful past in your life but because of the Lord there's been a radical change And maybe that's your testimony tonight. Maybe it can be your testimony. tonight. Or maybe it's the joy with which we serve that Martha had. Martha's busy. She's serving the Lord and everyone is enjoying the fruits of her labor. Thank God for Martha because my belly is full. Thank God for Martha because I can sit and relax for a little while. And that's what she was trying to do for Jesus. Just sit down in a place of peace. Let me feed you and take care of you and minister to you. Because of everything you've done for me. And we do it with a smile on our face and a joy in our heart. Because that, that impacts those who are around us. That, that keeps the attention on Jesus and not on my bitterness. Because everybody can see on your face when you're not happy. Everybody can see when you're bitter. Everybody can see when you're grouchy and when you're murmuring. Everybody notices that. And when we're noticing that, we're trying to figure out what's wrong with him. What's wrong with her? And at that moment, none of us have our eyes on Jesus. we got our eyes on you. But when there's joy in your heart, I might recognize that. But I might recognize it that you've got that. Because of the person that we're having fellowship with. Or it may be the offering of our worship. It may be that our worship is so valuable to us, that it's so impactful to us, that our time in the Word, our time in prayer, our time at being filled with the Spirit of God. And being moved and being led by Him. That God reveals something to us in His Word that maybe others read it, hear it, and pass right over it. But my time with the Lord matters to me. Or your time with the Lord matters to you. And it takes some time. And it takes some effort. And it costs you a little bit. And maybe when you come and you give something to the Lord, it costs you a whole lot more than it costs everybody else. The main thing is, is God honored by it? Is God honored by what I'm doing for Him? And does God want to honor me for it? Jesus says, leave her alone what she's doing for me matters is what am what am I is my worship meaningful to my god or maybe maybe we're like Lazarus and the life we now live Maybe Lazarus is not a good enough speaker to put in print. Maybe not everybody's going on the sermon audio and listening to his messages. Maybe he, maybe you and I, we don't do anything worthy enough to get everybody's attention. I think it's a pretty awesome thing for people to see the power of God in your life and to see somebody who once was dead and lifeless now filled with life because of the one who's sitting right next to him. That's a pretty cool dinner party, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you like to be a fly on that table? Yeah, that would have been pretty cool. Let's make sure our hearts are right with the Lord in everything that we do. Your Stephen's worship may be a little bit different than mine. Make sure it's meaningful to the Lord. And if our life isn't drawing others to Jesus, what are we doing with this life? What are we doing with it? Let's make that right. Let's take just a few moments. Iwana gets out at 8.15. We're going to take care of this stuff around here. In